Hey, there's Mr. Jarvis over there. Kids, you can head out to children's worship. So the rest of us uh, in here, as Kevin mentioned, we've been working our way through the Old Testament book of Numbers, and today we're up to chapter 10, uh, and we're going to look at the whole chapter. Uh, I'm going to read to you here in just a couple of minutes uh, most of the chapter. We're going to skip a few verses in the middle because it's repetitive. It's just actually a statement of this tribe got up and left, and this tribe got up and left, and this tribe got up and left. So... uh, we don't need we don't need to read all of that. So <clears throat> uh, we'll we'll start uh, at verse one, go through verse uh, uh, thirteen, and then we'll pick back up at verse twenty nine to the uh, end of the chapter. Text is printed in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Make two silver trumpets of hammered work. You shall make them." And you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only once, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be for you a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God. And you shall be saved from your enemies. On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts, and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. And then skip over to verse 29. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we'll do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my country. And he said, please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you don't, if you don't do, go with us. Whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same he will do to you. So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day, whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. 
So a couple of things to note about this text as we get into it today is, so the people uh, who were delivered from slavery have been parked basically there at the foot of Mount Sinai for a little more than a year. And what we see in today's text is they're finally moving. They are, uh, the last thing that they need is the, the provision of these trumpets. And once they're done and they know what to do with them, then they're going to get up and they're going to start moving towards the promised land. Now, a couple of things to note about this, about going to the promised land. Um, if you were to go straight from Mount Sinai to the promised land with a crowd this big, it would take you at most a month. How long did it take them? Right? So, so one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that we are on the very front end of a giant tragedy. Okay, so the whole point of what has led up to this point is for them to get where they are to where they're going. <laughs> That's the whole point. And so we talk about them wandering. They, they, they never really wandered. People who wander don't have a place to get to, right? But these people, they're pilgrims. They have a place to get to. They have a place to travel to that God has prepared for them. And that's exactly what's happening. And so the, the last thing that needs to be done is for God to say to them, okay, this is, you know, we're, we're going to have these trumpets. We're going to blow them at certain times. And when you hear them, the camp's going to set out and we're going to go and we're going to get to uh, the promised land. Now, one of the things that I think is, is so profoundly difficult for us, particularly in our culture today, is you think of yourself as uh, people in this country as people who are movers. Historically, that's the way people have thought about Americans. And we have historically thought people don't stay in one place for very long at, at a time. But the truth of the matter is that used to be true about Americans. It's not true anymore. In fact, if you look and you study uh, uh, the, the, the data People stay in one place, even if it's to their detriment economically. People will stay in one place. Uh, and it used to not be that way. That's one of the reasons why there are pockets in this country of persistent uh, poverty, because people don't move. Well, I think there's something about that for, for many of us, that the, the fact is, outside of the folks who come here as, as immigrants, most of us would, would like to just settle in one place and just stay there. Now, remember, these people, just a little more than a year before this, were slaves. They've known nothing but slavery. And now, in their freedom, all they've known is the camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, in all the movies and all the uh, stuff that you see about uh, this part of the Bible, we tend to think of that that area there at the foot of Mount Sinai is just this terrible, terrible place. It actually wasn't that bad. There's water there. There's food there. It's a good place to camp. It's a, it, was, it was a great place to camp. And so, but the time has come. God's finished. The tabernacle's done. All the stuff's set up. It's time for them to go. Time for them to move. And so now he's going to tell them uh, that it's time uh, to get up and to go. Now, uh, as we will see, this is going to be full of problems, full of issues, full of challenges. So as, as you think about this, just imagine what it might have been like to have stayed in this place, living in a tent 
for 13 or 14 months. And now it's time to go. I've been thinking a lot lately about recreational vehicles. I don't know if it's an age thing or just because I was traveling this weekend and saw people riding around in in RVs. Uh, Marty's family has a love affair with RVs. They buy a new one every little bit. And they have one now that's nicer than our house. (laughs) I mean... It is, it's amazing, really, it is. You, you look at it on the outside and you're like, trailer, don't call it a trailer. You know, that's, that's, that's like a curse word, you know. It's an RV. Um, and, and the thing about it is, you know, they use it for their business at the, the Christmas tree lot where they sell Christmas trees. But pretty much the other 48 weeks out of the year, it sits. Now, Something about RVs that's true of them that's, un, that's not true of other things is they come with wheels. Wheels are for moving. They are for getting somewhere. And so I think one of the things that you have to see about what's going on in this text is, is that, that these people aren't just aimlessly wandering around and they're not just camping for fun. They're not just camping for leisure. They're not on a vacation, right? The, the whole point of what they're doing is to get to where God had promised to their ancestors that he would give them this land. And so it is a, it is of that God's purpose in all of this and everything that he's done up to this point in time is to get them ready and get them on the move to get to where they need to go. And we'll see at the very end of this, the very first words of uh, chapter 11 at the end of this, is the result, how the people feel about what it means to be moving. So what we're going to do today, uh, and that's why we're going to take a break during the uh, the weeks of, of Advent, uh, because uh, from here on out, the book of Numbers is about complaining, essentially. So, uh, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we know the Bible's true, because it's about people complaining. And if there's one thing I know about people, they complain, right? We love it. We love it. Nothing makes you feel better than a good complaint, right? So, so as we, as we uh, uh, take a break over the next couple of weeks, when we come back, we'll pick up with where they are and uh, with, with, uh, with their complaining. But today what I want us to do is to look at three things that jump out of this text for us. We're going to look at the trumpets. We're going to look at the pilgrims because that's who they are. And then we're going to look at the rest that God has uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the chapter. So first of all, the trumpets. Uh, so the trumpets serve the purpose of calling the people together, calling them to war as an alarm, and calling them to move, and then ultimately reminding God of His promises to His people. Right. So one of the things that you have to see about this is is that that God ha- has a means and wants to create a means whereby the people will know that he's calling them and that either he wants to meet with them, he wants to meet with their leaders, they need to move because it's time to move, or they need to be prepared to fight because an enemy is encroaching upon the camp. And so one of the things that is so that you might miss about this is is that, that God would take the time to talk here in this chapter and to have an extended uh, set of verses about simply the means whereby he is going to call to his people. 
Now, one of the things that's unique and profound about the nature of our God is that he is a caller. He calls to us. Uh, when uh, We will read in a few weeks uh, uh, the Belgic Confession about what happened to Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden. And what we read is that they are trembling in shame and in fear, running from God, and God comes into the garden and he calls after them. He calls to them. Our God calls to us. Now, we tend to think in our, in our flesh and in our worldly way of thinking that we call out to God. You would never, ever, ever call to God unless he called you first. That is the, that is the profound nature of the gospel, that, that the gospel is the work of God in Jesus Christ where he calls to us and our fear and our rebellion and our running away from him to come to him. And in fact, not only does he call us to come to him, he comes all the way to us, right? Because, because the fact is, this, this, we would never do this on our own. The other thing that we see about this is, is that the call of God has effect. When he blows this trumpet, you need to come. It's, you're, you're impelled to come because God wants to either communicate with you, he wants to meet with you, he needs to warn you about something that's going to happen. And in and, and this text, and the way this works is these trumpets are used not only for alarms because they need to go or because someone's coming to attack them, but they're even blown at all of their worship services. Uh, they're, 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 the, at the first of the month, their new services, when they, when they offer sacrifice, all of those things, the trumpets are to be blown. And not only are the trumpets to be blown because they're a a people on the move because there are people in in the camp. God says here uh, in verse 8 that the trumpet shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. These trumpets are going to be a permanent part of the life of the people of God. Now, um, I, um, I don't know what you think about trumpets. In a few weeks, you'll probably start getting Christmas cards, and they have pictures of, on them often of angels blowing trumpets, um, which is fascinating to me because when the angels blow the trumpet, it's not for Christmas. <laughs> you know? You think, wait, didn't they do that out there over the shepherds? They sang. But when the New Testament talks about trumpets being blown, it's time to get up and get out of here. Right? We read in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 where where Paul says to uh, uh, his hearers that a day will come where the dead will hear the trumpet call of God. So this this trumpet that will be that will be blown for us is a trumpet that is powerful that raises the dead that that changes everything. So one of the things that we have to see about this is is that the people lived in anticipation of hearing the trumpet because either God was calling them to himself or he was calling them to move. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. We as people live today under the, uh, uh, the expectation and as we've already read, the blessed hope of the trumpet call of God. And when we hear it, dead or alive, it will be powerful enough to move us 
to him. Uh, at, uh, a few weeks ago, I, I went to my, last, my dad's last remaining sibling, my Aunt Pearl. We were at her funeral. And uh, my Aunt Pearl was a real character. She was 90, almost 92 when she died. Um, she liked guns. Uh, she liked fast cars. Uh, she particularly liked uh, Thunderbirds. She had a collection of them. She's a real character. And uh, uh, one of the things she, she used to, because I was a pastor, she would always talk to me about things in the scriptures. And the thing that she loved to talk about was uh, uh, the, the, the trumpet call of God. And she would say to me, Steve, we're going to get out of here in a hurry. I can't wait. We're going to get out of here in a hurry. Well, the, the fact is, that's the power of the call of God, that it moves us and it changes us, right? So when God calls you in your spiritual death, he makes you alive. And when God calls you by his trumpet call in your physical death, he makes you alive. So whatever wilderness you're in, wherever you are, whatever the struggle you have, whatever difficulty you have, here's the truth. Because there's a trumpet, And because our God blows it, and because he calls you, there is no reason, no reason in the life of the believer for hopelessness. None. I don't care how difficult things are, how painful they are, how hard they are, how challenging they are. The fact is, because our God calls us to himself, and his call is powerful, so powerful that we live in expectation of a final trumpet call where the dead will rise, there's no room for hopelessness. We have every reason to hope because our God raises the dead because his call is powerful. And we will see that and we will experience that. So it is no small thing that when God says here, listen, you need to, these trumpets, they matter. Because they are the means whereby he is going to communicate with his people to come to him, to be prepared for battle, uh, to come to worship. But there's something else about this uh, that is a pretty profound thing. It says that not only are the trumpets calling to the people, there's a sense in which these trumpets call to God, right? He says there in uh, verse 9, And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feast, and at the beginnings of your month, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, does God forget about us and he needs somebody to blow a trumpet? You know, is he some kind of, is, is he demented? Is he, has he got uh, memory issues? And so somebody needs to blow a trumpet to like, hey, God, pay attention. We're here. Right? Does he forget about us? Listen, if your God forgets about you, get a new God. If your God has memory issues, if he, if he forgets anything about you other than your sin, forget about it. Get another God. That God's not working for you. So what does it mean that he does this where, where it's a reminder? Well, it's like this. God comes to a man named Noah one day and he says, listen, the, the world is a terrible place and I need to, uh, it, it, the, the wickedness is just so profound. 
uh, I want you to build an ark, and I want you to take two of every kinds of animals into the ark, and I want you and your family to go in the ark, and I'm going to start over with you. So Noah does this. He builds the ark. He takes the animals in, and God floods the world for 40 days and 40 nights. So that the picture that we receive in the scriptures is, is there's this ark floating in the water and everything that's alive that breathes the breath of the, in, in the air is in that ark. And then we read in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, then God remembered Noah. Now, does that mean he'd forgotten him? No. No, what, what he's saying there is that after a, a period of time, after this particular season, God began to move and to act in a particular way. Not that he wasn't before, but the eyes of the people, the eyes of Noah, had this sense that God was, was at, at work. Well, the same thing is true with these, with these trumpets. We blow the trumpets to remind ourselves, not that, that God needs to be reminded, but to remind ourselves of his promise and, and to remind ourselves of the hope that we have in him. That there's a real sense in which that's what, what, what happens here over our worship and over our warfare and over all of these things is that these trumpets serve the purpose of reminding us that our, in, even though we may be in dire straits, we may be in difficulty, we may be challenged, our God has not forgotten us, that he is with us and that he is for us, right? And so, so what we, what we, what we see here is that there's, there's something profound about this call, this sound, this wonder that our God would make this, this, these trumpets so that we would hear and we would respond. Next slide, please, Liz. In verses 11 through 24, what we see is the outline here of uh, these uh, people who are um, pilgrims. And one of the things that, that you have to see uh, about what's going on here is, is that our God is moving us somewhere, that, that, that the point of life is not circular, that we just don't wander around in circles, but that he's actually taking us somewhere. And as such, we are pilgrims. We have a destination, and our destination is the place that he chooses for us. And so God makes provision for how he's going to get us there. Now, in the midst of this section, we read this, we read this really interesting thing about uh, Moses' brother-in-law. Did you catch that? Now, what is, what, and if you're paying attention, let me, let me, first of all, it's good to have a brother-in-law who knows where he's going, right? <laughs> it's good to have a brother-in-law who's helpful. <laughs> it, you know, how interesting that in the midst of this, Moses needs an in-law to help him get where he needs to go, right? But look, look at verse 29. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we're, getting, we're setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you for the Lord has promised good to Israel. Now, that's a great thing to say to somebody, you know, come along with us because we're, we're God's promise to do good things for us. And if you're with us, you'll get, you'll get uh, the benefit of those blessings. But he said to him, I'll not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And Moses says back to him, please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if, if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will he do to you. 
Now, here's the, here's the thing that is, is profound to me about this is, first of all, um, I thought, as we spent a, a lot of time last week talking, God was going to lead them by the cloud. Why do you need this guy? Why do you need him? Is this because Moses is unfaithful? Because Moses, why, why, why do you need your brother-in-law to go with you? Or it's Moses being an evangelist here, and he's saying, aha, you Midianite, I will I'll win you over to God's side by, by having, giving you a fake job, <laughs> a welfare job, right? So that, that you know, God's really going to be the one that's leading us, but you'll think you're leading us. And so we'll give you this job, and then, you know, maybe you'll get converted. And that, and that kind of the way you... you you would think about that. The, the problem is there's nothing about that in the text. In fact, the text doesn't say that Moses is doing a bad thing. And I would guess that if Moses thought the cloud is not enough to get us where we need to go, I need my brother-in-law to do it, we'd hear about that. I think there'd be something clear about that. So why, why does, and by the way, he says he's not going to go, but if you read Judges 1, they go. They go with him. Why is this necessary? Well, the cloud is not a person. It's not a person. It's not flesh and blood, right? And so, so for whatever reason, what, what God condescends here, not only to lead them by the cloud, but to give to Moses someone who's in flesh and blood, somebody that, that Moses can talk to, and so that Moses can say, hey, what's around the bend up there? What, what's coming up next? What, what's going to happen? Where, you know, what, what does that place look like? And what is this place like? So, so that he has a companion who has been there before who can, can help him lead and, and follow where God would, would take them to go. Well, the fact is there, there's something very practical about that for us that, that the, we call ourselves followers of Jesus. That means we have someone who goes before us to take us where he wants us to go. But it's important to understand that we, as, as uh, Hebrews 12 says, that we fix our eyes on this one who is our trailblazer because he leads us and he leads us because he's been there before. There's nothing that we can experience in this life that Jesus has not already experienced. He, he did that. He went through that. It is, it's interesting to note that the first thing Jesus does after his baptism and his public ministry is he goes into the wilderness. He knows what a wilderness experience is, is like. And so we can follow him there. We can follow him through all the disappointments and hurts and joys of life because he's been there. And not only has he been there, but he has, he has redeemed them for us. We can even follow him into the tomb because he went there. You see, he is utterly trustworthy. And so, yet again, there is no reason for us to be thought, that to think that we are simply caught in this life of wandering and never getting anywhere. Because if we have the guide, if we have this one who is our trailblazer, and we look to him, it is there's no reason for hopelessness because he's for us, he's with us, he's been there, we can trust him. We know that he will see to it that we will get where uh, he wants us to go. You see, that's something that's so profound about this. Now, you know, this is hard for us to understand why you would need someone like this to go with you because 
Well, because we getting someplace, knowing how to get there, is not a thing anymore, is it? Right? You know, it, it occurred to me as I was traveling this, this weekend that, um, you know, there, we used to have these things called maps. They were on paper with like lines and numbers and colors and those sorts of things that told us this is how you get where you're going. Well, when was the last time? I mean, if you're a map maker, man, I'm sorry for you, right? Your job went away, right? So, so the, the, the fact is that the need for a guide is so funny for us now because if you've got a phone, you've got a guide. When my mom was dying and in hospice, that our kids would take turns driving my dad from the, the hospice center back to his house when he needed to get stuff. And um, one day my daughter was going to take him back, uh, back home. And my dad's thinking, well, she's, she's unfamiliar with this area. She's not going to know how to get there. So they get in the car and they're driving and he's about to tell her where to go. And he hears a voice turn right in 300 feet. And he's like, what's up with that? He, my dad thinks that having a phone that knows where you are is bad. You should think about that. Um, but he's amazed. He's like, Madeline knows exactly how to get everywhere because she has this voice and this thing that tells her, turn right here, turn left here, go so many miles and, and do this. And so the, the sense of fear of the unknown is kind of lost on us, right? Because, because we, we have all these things to kind of manage this. But the people of God have a trailblazer in Jesus Christ who we can follow and listen Listen, I know for many of you, the tendency is to cynicism and to bitterness to think, yeah, following him seems like I'm stuck. That life is just too hard. It's just too difficult. After all, isn't life about carrying a cross? I have too many crosses to bear and it's too hard. Well, here's the thing. It is interesting that when Jesus tells us to carry the cross, he doesn't tell us to hold the cross. He says to carry it. You hold things when you're standing still. You carry things when you're getting somewhere. So whatever your difficulty, whatever your hard thing is, in your life, we have a trailblazer who has gone before us and we can follow him and we can trust him because he knows our life. And not only that, he knows our sin and he's made full atonement. Follow him. There's no need for hopelessness and despair. You have a trailblazer. And then lastly... And here's the reason why we're going to skip over this for the next uh, uh, few weeks is what happens next. This is a great beginning. Just imagine. You've been waiting all this time to get ready to go to the promised land. 
You hear the trumpets blow. You march for three days. You're like, we are making real progress. We are getting where we need to go. And then the very next chapter, verse 1 of chapter 11, now when the people complained. Didn't take long. They're moving. What's the first thing they do? They complain. Now, this is going to be very difficult for us in five weeks because you don't think, and I don't think, there's anything wrong with complaining. In fact, complaining is our right. It's what we do. Our culture is built on complaints. I I didn't, and it's going to sound really crazy to you, right? One of the things, a few weeks ago, uh, I dropped my phone. I had to get a new phone. So I got a phone, a new phone, uh, cheapest. I went into the Verizon store and said, I need a new phone. Give me the cheapest one you can have. And because there are five phones on my plan, I'm a company. (laughs) So, So they gave me a phone. Now, one of the things that's crazy about this phone is, is I'll go somewhere and I'll do something and then my phone will buzz and I'll look at it and it'll say, please rate Tony's Bar and Grill. We love it. Let me rate you. You're rating me right now. Well, guess what? I'm rating y'all, right? This is what we do. And this gives us a way to complain anonymously. How much better is that? I can complain about you, and you never knew where the complaint came from. Now, I think the Bible has something to say about that. I know Jesus does, right? There's nothing wrong with us going to our God and saying, Hey, God, help me understand. I'm challenged. God, I lament what's happening here. God, But when you complain against the very purpose of God for you, things will be difficult. God is moving us. He is taking us through the wilderness to the promised land. He has given us a guide. He has called to us. He has communicated with us. He has given us everything we need. Is the road hard? Yes. Is the road difficult? Yes. Is it challenging? Yes, yes, yes. But we have a guide. We have a God. And we have a trailblazer who is with us and for us. No need for hopelessness. No need for complaining. And here's the thing. Two of these people who set out on that day to go will be there in 40 years. Only two. But God doesn't stop. He does this job. He does this work. He strives with these people and he leads them to their destination. And he will strive with them and he will work with them and he will stay with them and he will call to them and he will bless them so that they will provide. Really, he's building a cradle for the one who will come and crush the serpent's head. So even in the midst of our complaining, it doesn't stop the Lord from achieving his purpose. That's good news. That's great news. 
Um, let's, let's look to him now in prayer. Father, we, we come to you and we confess uh, that we uh, would rather be stuck uh, than go. Thanks that you are achieving your purpose by leading us to where uh, you desire for us to go. And God, we thank you today that you're a God who calls to us and that you go to the trouble to explain to us what, what your call is for and, and why it's powerful and why we need it. We thank you that we have a, a guide who has gone before us, who leads us and provides for us. We thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of our complaining and our cynicism and our hopelessness, you continue to be faithful. Change us, encourage us, help us, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.